good day. It's time for another edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast from lovely and beautiful downtown Denver, Colorado. I am Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I am Denver 7 pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters and those purple mountain majesties you see outside our window are also the ones being referenced in that beautiful tribute to America. Yes, that is... uh the the peak name for pike yes sir uh his peak and i've been to the top have you been to the top of pike's peak i am in dire need of a hiking excursion well no you don't want to hike it i mean you can hike it it's Mm -hmm. one of the 14ers you can hike uh i've taken the train up there a couple of times but i i told my kids i want to drive up there i've never driven up to the top of pike's peak yet as part of our new segment denver 7 travel agent (laughs) <laughs> do they offer a holiday train at Pikes Peak, or does uh, that just run in the summertime? No, I think it, it does mostly just run in the summertime because uh, there's just too much snow to clear up there during the winter time. Because uh, they do it sometimes. Let's see, let me think about that. I have to look up the Pikes Peak. Look up the uh, Manitou Springs oh. Railroad. The look first statistic up. I've had to look up in there, there, 51 <laughs> weeks on the program. There you go. Um, uh, we can get the details on that. And also a shout-out to Nicole Brady for helping the people get the travel deals they need on Travel Deal Tuesday, the yes. most egregious fake holiday of the holiday shopping season. <laughs> yeah, Nick, I saw actually a uh, – it was, it was an ad or something from Icelandic Airways or something like that where they were flying from Denver to Europe. Like love London for a couple hundred dollars. Beautiful. And, and so the the cheap deals are here because all those cheap airlines, it's very similar to what's happening here where you have the Frontier and Spirit and uh, some of the other discount airlines where they charge you for everything. Yep. They're already doing that in Europe. And some of those fares you'll see are really cheap. Yeah, you got to pay for your bags and you're sitting in coach, what, for, you know, eight or ten hours. But at least you're making it there in... $400 rather than 1400 So your argument is at least we're making it there. My argument is have fun walking around Europe without a suitcase for nine days. <laughs> you can get some clothes there. I'm sure you can. Well, saying it was simply time for drivers to move on, Toyota has issued a recall of its entire 1993 Camry model line due to the fact that its owners really should have bought something new by now. Quote, Mm. we understand that the 93 Camry was tremendously dependable, but honestly, there's just no excuse for driving a 22-year-old car at this point. Unquote. Said a Toyota spokesman, adding that with all the advances in automotive technology that have taken place, no one really has any business driving a vehicle for more than two decades. We're not saying you have to buy a new Camry or splurge on a flashy new hybrid, or even that your car has to be a Toyota at all. But the bottom line is that you need to start fresh however you choose to do so. While Toyota is reportedly uh, confining its recall to the 93 Camry, it's also issued a warning to owners of the 94 to 98 models, alerting them to the fact that they are really starting to push it. Now, in doing research for this segment, I found several 1993 Toyota Camrys for sale for less than $5,000 across the greater Colorado area. So, uh... Keep hitting the road, Toyota. There you go. Excellent work. <laughs> the Camry. They actually are quite dependable cars. I mean, when I was just starting to drive 13 years ago, the Toyota Camry was one of the cars that we considered as my first car because at that point it was the dependable, affordable used vehicle. 13 years ago. Still fits that niche today. Yeah. Damn impressive. Yeah. And you know what? I might put my one of my daughters in there. But however, my wife would have different ideas. 
Is your wife trying to put him in like a Mercedes? Oh no, well no, but they would. She would want him to be in some kind of a newer, fancier, not fancier, but at least some kind of newer car because she's. I don't want him to break down. What if they break down? Is the common concern. My wife really doesn't talk like that, but that's just my pretend (laughs) wife voice that I have. Because if she did talk like that, your wife sounds like the most horrifying person on the planet. I wouldn't want to be with her. Oh, everybody just turned off the podcast. (laughs) Well, common courtesy dictates that. If you're on a public uh, bus, on a train, whatever, that you should always stand up for an elderly person or a pregnant woman or, or a woman with some kids, right? You you always see that, and, and you offer, and I do that. I'll offer my seat to those people whenever I see them. I did it just the other day when I was down at Jump Street or the jumping zone or whatever the heck it was. There was some woman that was standing there pregnant. I said, hey, please sit down right here, and I'll, I'll get up and move. Well, anyone that might need a seat, you're, you're really kind of expected, I think, to give it up if you're a man. And you're on those, in, in whether it's anywhere in public, basically. Uh, there's times, though, that you might not want to give up that seat. And God forbid you don't move because you'll be treated like a monster, right? But there are times that it's an inconvenience to you, the man, they have to get up and, and stand up. The beauty of it on the public bus system is that usually there are so many dudes around who are anxious to give up their seat for the elderly person or pregnant person that I don't have to get up. Somebody will beat me to the punch in offering that seat. But if you don't get up, aren't you looked at? is maybe worse than Kim Jong-un? It's true. However, I've never been the only guy on the bus who was unwilling to give up a seat to the front. Well, get this. Now, according to a professor from Oxford, his name is Sir Muir Gray, and mm. he insists that giving up your seat is helping the elderly because, quote, standing up is great exercise for them, unquote. He says we need to be encouraging activity as we age, not telling people to put their feet up. That's right, old man. You stand up because you need the exercise. And I'll sit down because my legs need the rest. (laughs) That's right. I'm young and I'm ready to go and I need to be energetic because that's what I am. Young and energetic. You old guy, ah, just keep standing there. This is the only exercise you're going to get today, old timer. Now, experts from the United Kingdom Center for Aging said that exercise could keep a person from needing care by reversing physical decline by up to a decade. If it wasn't enough to deny them a seat on the bus, apparently, you're also within your right to encourage elderly people to exercise more. Hey, old man, go ahead and drop that cane and start jogging. After reading this article and research for the podcast, I actually bought my grandmother a set of dumbbells for Christmas. Happy holidays, Nana. (laughs) Professor Gray says the prevailing attitude that exercises for young people while older people should be encouraged to relax needs to be challenged. Last year, he said that sitting is the new smoking. I don't think that sitting is as bad as smoking. I mean, smoking is bad. Sitting is, well, not as bad as smoking. Smoking is pretty bad. That's I mean, true. you're putting smoke into your lungs. Right. Literally something that damages your lungs inserting directly into your lungs. His sci- Look, his science might be correct that the elderly benefit from standing and walking, but they also aren't 20 and need to sit down more than younger people. I mean, come on. They're, they're not young. They're, let them sit down. Why not? What's the threshold? The, ma- the elderly man with the walker who's having trouble standing up, do I give up my seat to him, but not to the man in his late 50s who has a little bit of dark color still in his hair and seems like he could hold his own in a fist fight? You know, there's more to standing, especially in a bus, than just standing. 
because the bus is moving, right? So you have to use a lot more. If I'm just standing on the street, I'm just standing. I'm using some of my other muscles. But when the bus is moving, there's some forces there that have to be overcome. You're using your core. You're using your arms. You're using your legs, obviously. You're using all your balance. You're using all these different... And maybe you don't have that strength as an older folk to, uh, to, to be able to stand on the bus or the train or the whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. One foot in the grave already, man. It's a, have you ever been on the bus when they have to slam on the brakes and stop short or whatever? It can be tough for the older folks. You know, it's tough on the younger folks, too, but they can at least recover from a broken hip the, early, better than somebody in their 70s or 80s. I just never want to be the first one to fall down because then it's like dominoes on a crowded bus and like nine people topple over because the bus stopped too abruptly. I would rather be number three than number one. You never hear good things of people in their 70s or 80s breaking their hip. No. That never ends well. No. And, and call me crazy, but I don't think it's going to go over well either. If I stay seated on the train and tell that nice old grandma that's just walking up down the aisle there, I'm sorry, ma'am, I am not going to get up. You should keep standing because you need the exercise. Can we Yay! get? Can, can we get Sir Gray for this podcast? I'd really love to have a sit-down interview with him. Oh, you would. A, a nice 15-minute chat about sitting and smoking oh, don't you think and elderly people <laughs> on the bus. It's the Yeah, sitting is the new... You are sitting now, and That's so you true. might as well be smoking. My mu- <laughs> you might as well be smoking! How do I respond to that? You can't. What am I supposed to say to that? Nothing. I'm standing, so at least I'm getting the exercise, and I'm a much older man than you. So I guess right now... Right we're now, we're in balance. I mean, <laughs> we're right where we should be. The old guy's standing up, the young guy's sitting down. Perfect. Just perfect. Well, cooking for us at home is easy. We never really think of it as a challenge, right? But when you're on the road, especially driving for a living, it can be a pretty big challenge. You can't get a Kenmore stovetop and oven in a semi-truck, right? You just they don't they don't have the rooms. It's true. In the back, in, in the little known fact to do that. Well, long-haul truckers spend weeks on end working and sleeping in spaces the size of a modest suburban bathroom, and there really isn't much room for a good kitchen. Yet, in a bid to stay healthy, save money, or simply satisfy a discerning palate, some drivers now have grown determined to make their own meals in an environment where nearly everything works against them. One driver set up his rig kitchen with a foreman grill, one of those electric skillets, a rice cooker that's also used to fry meat, and a crock pot, with a custom Velcro rig to keep the lid in place. Because a lot of people, you see most of these truckers, a lot of them are overweight because, one, they're sitting, which is the smoking. Uh, they're also smoking, which is still the regular smoking. Uh, and they're always eating out or not eating the most healthy choices, and they're getting very little exercise. It's fascinating stuff, really, when you look at what these truckers put their bodies through. It's actually the premise for a very popular movie from earlier this decade, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, where... Uh, one of the uh, man encounters a truck driver and eventually convinces him to start juicing. So this guy actually has just a blender and a selection of fruits and vegetables that he buys every day in the back of his truck, and that's what he uses to get by, and he winds up losing a substantial amount of weight as a result of that. And, and another trucker and her boyfriend learn that cooking while driving requires vigilance. Crockpot lids slip off, slopping stew over bunks, you know, because you're actually in a moving vehicle. Knife work is best done while parked. And though some team drivers split duties, one dicing while the other drives, keeping an eye out for potholes that can send things flying, that could be a challenge as well. Uh, The two often cooked outside on a folding table with an extension cord running back into their cab. Lots of trucker chefs swap recipes online and compete in virtual contests. There's actually one called the Chopped Challenge. 
It's run by Big Truck Cooking, and they have a 12,000-member Facebook group whose recent contest entries included slow-cooked Thai peanut pork and skillet shepherd's pie, all from your rig. There you go. So most novices start with a lunchbox stove, a sturdy 12-volt appliance that heats the food and accommodates a small foil loaf pan. Some drivers started cooking after spending hungry hours waiting to load or unload in remote locations. And most drivers who stick to truck-cooked meals save money at the grocery store. They're generally healthier than if they eat out or they microwave all their meals or just eat fast food all the time. And almost 70% of long-haul truck drivers are obese, and more than half are smokers. And there's really no help for these guys because they're, for the most part, by themselves yep. for long periods of time. And uh, when I was doing radio stories, I, I, there was occasionally times where I, I would need, it's called man-on-the-street interviews, MOS. Or they used to love to do that in the, in the old days. Still do. And so what I would one of the one of the best places I would go would be over at the truck stops, either the one over there at I-70 near Kipling or over there at the Sap Brothers because the truckers, they're over there. They're usually not doing a whole lot because they're either eating or just resting there at the at the truck truck stop, and they love to have the interaction. They love talking, and so you just stop and talk to them for a few minutes, give them a little bit of attention, and then all of a sudden everything starts flowing out, and they're really a good source for information and and uh, and opinions. Absolutely, I completely so, agree. Some trucking companies promote cooking as a way to stay healthier in the sedentary profession, posting instructional videos on social media or either outfitting their cabs with inverters that convert electricity from the truck battery to power the microwaves or even the hot plates. Now, Delicated Systems, Inc. in Green Bay, Wisconsin, they install refrigerators on its big rigs and auxiliary power units so drivers can then run appliances. About half of the drivers in its 70-truck fleet now cook. Mike Wilford, who drives full-time in a truck with his wife, Emily, created what the two call the Dedicated Drive and Dine Kitchen. Now, in a recent afternoon at a pilot travel center in New York, Miss Wolford, uh, she swung a bag of potatoes down from the top bunk of the cab, began peeling, sending skins flying into the narrow trash can. Pork loin in a lunchbox stove emitted savory wafts through the casserole dish of corn steamed in a uh, soft-sided portable cooker. Now, when the truck is rolling, her countertop is their prized 62-quart portable fridge freezer. They say it cost them around 700 bucks. And this day, it held drinks, sausages, pre-cooked spiced meats, frozen and, and rolled tight in Ziploc bags, the better to maximize every inch of storage space they, they really don't have. Now, outside, Mr. Walford, he set up a picnic table with utensils, condiments, salad fixings for the two of them, and they had a couple of guests. They hopped back up on their passenger side, stepped in, and emptied the pot filled with water used to wash the potatoes when the, when the meal was ready. They paused to say grace, and they dug in. I would like to stop here to say that Mr. and Mrs. Wolford live in a truck now. Yeah. How much longer do we expect that to be? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of couples that do that as a couple, and they'll do the team driving because they'll have what will happen is one guy, usually the guy is out there driving, and either uh, the wife is sick of him being on the road for as long as they are, uh, maybe the kids are gone out of the house, and then she'll join him as a team, and they'll be a team owner-operators. I'm, I'm just saying, man, that RV life, that truck life, not the life for me. No. It is a different life. It's a, it's a different life for sure. Because uh, I, I don't know. I, I like kind of life on the road a little bit. I always thought it'd be a, I could be a long-haul truck driver. I've only got to ride in a, in a big rig a couple of times. Um, I think if 
if I didn't have any kids, because I would miss my kids too much if yes. I was doing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would miss them too much to be on the road that much. But maybe if they're older and out of the house, that's something I could do. I don't. My wife, I don't think she would do it. I think she'd no. rather have a boat. Okay. She would much rather do the. You guys do, the do boat. seem like a better fit for the boat life than the truck life, though. Yes. <laughs> My, you know, you know, really talk about a group of people who have have a special talent to deal with traffic congestion and not lose their minds over it. Truckers, mm-hmm. they have to. You gotta, you gotta give it to them because they see more traffic and congestion and have to deal with all that and all the crazy car drivers than anybody else. Well, I'm glad that technology is allowing for more cooking and trucks for these. We folks. gotta find a couple of these Denver-based truckers that are part of these cooking competitions. Yeah, Let's do a little feature well, story. Go get on that Facebook page and start to, and start looking there. Start get, looking and cooking, baby. Get on that Facebook, he says. On the Facebook. You uh, got it. Coming up in the world of driverless cars, what happens to motorcycles? Interesting question. That story and the ten most expensive cars in the world as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Amanda Del Castillo, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. People say, you get up at 2 in the morning to do this? You must get used to that by now. No, we hate getting up at 2 in the morning. We hate being here at 3 a.m., except we like our jobs, and we like the people we're working with, and we have a lot of fun. We should probably sell tickets to the show during the commercial break. We couldn't air all that material, could we? But it's still a lot of fun. And we're just committed to making sure that, you know, you get your, you started off on your day correctly. So it's worth it to us to get in here before the sun even comes up to put it all together for you. Mitch Jelnicker, only on Denver 7. My favorite part is watching the interaction between everyone because I think you guys have a fantastic sense of humor. And I think you just jive really well because if you're sitting at home, I'm in my PJs and in my coffee and I want to look up and I want to see these people who I feel like I know on the morning show and they're just talking to me and they're having a great time and they're also telling me what I need to know to be prepared for my day and what I need to know in my community. Connor Wist, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast powered by Bobby's of Cherry Creek. Come to Bobby's Steakhouse where we say, let's meet. That's meet with an A, M-E-A-T, meet. Get it? Let's meet. I got you. Steakhouse. Wordplay. Okay. I guess. Uh, Saginaw cheese. Cheese, <laughs> it's good. Cheese, it's good. Get it? cheese okay right. uh again we have no sponsors and uh it looks like it's gonna stay that way and we're hack comedians too oh just yeah. the worst <laughs> just the worst even though i think bobby's steakhouse of cherry creek or bobby's of cherry creek i think that'd be a pretty good bit if i can get that going i'm down so the police in delhi india have decided to showcase some of their weird excuses that they hear every day for why a driver who they pulled over is doing something wrong Everybody has an excuse of, of why you're doing what you're doing when right. you get pulled over and you're talking to the cops. So they've started a new safety campaign using the hashtag no excuses for safety, where they're uh, sharing some of these excuses. The excuses are so weird that even some of the policemen get astonished sometimes. And here are their top five weird traffic excuses 
the Delhi police are highlighting. I'll go ahead and read these because I'm cold and I haven't looked at them yet. So here's number one. I'm not using the seat belts because I'm not comfortable with it. See, that's not that great. You know, that's, I mean. It's uncomfortable. My father used to say that exact same thing. You, you, you binded him and it was uncomfortable so he wouldn't wear it. And I was like, well, that doesn't help you in a horrible crash. Lord. All right. Number two. I don't wear a helmet because it ruins my hairstyle. I can understand that. I think a lot of men in this newsroom could understand that. I'm thinking of one in particular who has two different kinds of hairspray, one for when he's reporting in the field and one for when he's anchoring on the desk. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Uh, Number three, I was driving fast because my ice cream was melting. See, I I would have probably rather eaten the ice cream. Now, what if you're at the grocery store and you're trying to get it home, that's one kind of ice cream. I think that's, I, I hope that that's what they were talking about, because to your point, if it's on a cone, just eat the cone quicker. Yeah, or if you're at the uh, Dairy Queen, and you have the, I used to do that all the time, at halftime for the Broncos, go up to the Dairy Queen, grab myself a uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Blizzard, and then on back home. I'd have maybe half of it eaten by the time I'd get home. Respect. I, res- I like your style. Number four, <laughs> I was on the phone while driving because my dog wasn't eating. I don't get that. See, I don't I think just, those are even connected. I don't think they are, but hey, it's a good excuse. Maybe she was FaceTiming the dog <laughs> and noticed that the dog wasn't eating and it inspired her to go faster. That could be. Uh, the last one here, uh, number five, I jumped the red light because my goldfish was about to die. You know, I don't understand that because I have a four-year-old goldfish um, who I still have to change their water. It's been a week and a half since changing the water, so I have to change Dorothy's water. But my goldfish... Even though sometimes I think she's going to die, she hasn't died yet. She's a four and a half. Now, there's been times that she's been floating. Okay. I think what we find is that if we feed her too much, she starts to float sideways. Oh, my goodness. In the tank. (laughs) And so we go, for a while, we were like, why is she floating sideways? That's just not right. Girls, why... Why is the fish floating sideways? Now, I have no experience with fish, but I'm just pic- picturing your weekend at Bernie's goldfish that's like floating <laughs> around the tank with sunglasses on. He's not dead, guys. <laughs> Dorothy's alive. But they'd be okay if the fish died. They're not, I mean, they're kind of, they like the fish, but they're not going to be broken up about the fish when the fish They've made has peace to be with flushed. The, the fish is having trouble holding conversations. The well, fish, it's because they the can't fish doesn't cuddle remember it. your daughter's name anymore. Right. You know? you know, it doesn't bark. It doesn't cuddle. It doesn't <laughs> greet him at the door. You know, that sort of thing. You know, if you... If you can cuddle a goldfish, that's that's quite the talent. <laughs> I guess you need a big a uh, bigger fish tank pool or some, right? Oh, come here, Goldie. Uh, all right, all right. Then. On that note, okay. So we've talked a ton about driverless cars and when they might take over the world. But when they do, what happens to motorcycles? Because where where do they end up on the chain when the driverless world gets really going? I, I don't know if it's even possible to have a driverless motorcycle. I, I don't think that is even. Maybe on a three-wheeled kind of thing? It's certainly not fun, right? No. I'm more reasonably sure than th- that no motorcycle rider would really want to ride on a driverless motorcycle because part of the fun of driving on a motorcycle is being that having that freedom and having that ability to have the wind go through your hair. And just, you know, yeah. <laughs> through your helmet. Yeah, no helmet. Uh, I mean, really, what's the point, what's the point of, of a driverless motorcycle? So I think the future, especially in the short term, there's going to have to be separate lanes for driverless vehicles. And for non-driverless vehicles and or motorcycles, because there's still going to be the need to drive vehicles on the road, whether it's motorcycles or tractors or, or classic cars. Like if I ever do get my 1961 Corvette, you know, uh, red with the white uh, trim. Yep. If I ever get that, which I probably will never, we'll, we'll probably get a sponsor before I'll get that car. Um, or <laughs> whatever. I mean, you, you still. One dream at a time, Jason. First okay. the sponsor, then the. the then, then the Corvette. Yep. Uh, because you can't. I mean, what's the point of having a classic car that's not going to be retrofitted with 
uh, self-driving technology. Really, you can't do that in some of those self-driving cars. You know, you just can't do it. Right. But there will eventually come a time where the motorcycle has to be retired for good, I would imagine. I mean, how can you have a traffic system with all driverless cars and then throw in the unpredictable variable of a person on a, on a motorcycle? Is, is there room for two-wheeled cars or bicycles or vehicles or any kind of two-wheeled thing that's not automatic or not autonomous in a driverless future? You know, you could argue that it would actually be safer for motorcycles to be the only manned vehicles on the streets because cars would theoretically be giving them the proper amount of space when they pass. Right, so you don't have that draft that affects motorcyclists so much. A, B, we all know motorcyclists are just going to weave in and out of traffic anyway. So it may as well be driverless traffic that's driving safely rather than human traffic, which can break abruptly or hit the gas abruptly and really screw up what those motorcycles are trying to do. But what I think in my head is when I was ever riding on a motorcycle that you want to go sometimes relax as you're driving, especially on the country roads or the mountain roads, right, where it's a little bit more windy and curvy. But if you're driving in through, let's say, a couple of intersections, the theory with uh, autonomous driving uh, cars is that you don't even really need traffic lights because they can all sense when they're going to go through that intersection. Well, if you throw in the variable of a of a motorcycle that doesn't have that technology, that isn't talking to the other cars, and it's out there just as a as a random thing, it the, the other cars don't really know how to handle it, and it kind of screws up the works. Yep. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. If motorcycles are somehow accounted for in the in that ecosystem. It seems logical that driverless car companies would try to eliminate them eventually, no matter how capable and quick the driverless cars are. It's hard to escape the wrath of a novice rider on a superbike. Uh, so it could be a rather gloomy future, I think, if you're a fan of two wheels, maybe even bicycles as well. A long way from now, motorcycles won't fit in that perfect, safe, efficient future of commuting. Our kids are probably going to call us maniacs when they tell them how we used to ride the two-wheeled contraptions kept in... You know, they'd only be kept in museums probably in 50 years. Well, dirt bikes. I mean, you'll still be able to ride bikes out out on, like, the dirt tracks and stuff like that. we got a photog here who does that. I mean, I I think the technology is still going to exist, but the idea of it sharing the road with all these autonomous cars, mm, definitely far-fetched. Yeah. You only see the Harley guys probably out riding in the country where they aren't equipped for uh, driverless cars. Well, and that's the interesting debate. I mean, I think uh, there are a lot of roads out here in Colorado specifically that lend themselves to those long motorcycle country type drives and you know people also use those roads to get from point A to point B so how do you strike a balance between people who are literally just doing road tourism where they drive the road they enjoy the road and then they're done for the day and people who use those roads every day as a method of getting from point A to point B see i could see especially early on and maybe even in, in you know 20 years or so when autonomous technology starts coming online that you're going to see it mostly like you did when cell phones started coming online they're really only concentrated where where you could get the signal in a downtown urban area and then along interstate corridors and eventually then you know all the networks started putting them out in more remote places where people were but for the most part when you first saw where all these uh, uh, all the cell phones you could use your cell phone it was along the major interstates and in big urban areas and i think that's where you're going to be able to find the autonomous technology, and then uh, you'll be able to drive your motorcycle maybe outside of those zones. Well, and I think this is a good opportunity for a state like a Montana or an Idaho or one of those states with a lot, uh, a lot of those country road networks that aren't really heavily populated for them to say, hey, 
autonomous cars are fine in the cities and fine in the major urban areas, but we're not even going to allow them on those country roads. Right. And we'll make that a safe zone for people who want to be in control of their own destiny, so to speak. Yeah, you wouldn't believe how many motorcyclists I saw when I went up to uh, that wedding at uh, Mount Rushmore up in South Dakota and how many folks on motorcycle I mean they were touring from you know all those northern states from Minnesota and 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 uh, Wisconsin and I mean they were just all the way touring all the way through those areas and they loved it well, in South Dakota is the home of the Sturgis Rally, correct? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we had Bike Week in New Hampshire that was a huge deal. I mean, that culture really embraces the idea of the free and open road. And we're headed towards a future where the road is less free and less open. And where is going to be the safe space for those people? Well, I like sports cars. Do you like sports cars? Who doesn't like sports cars? I don't think everybody likes sports cars. I'm not, I'm not crazy about sports. I mean, I like sports cars. I'm not crazy not about sports cars. So I was reading this story, though, on a site called Medium.com, and they like to do lists on uh, about different things. And they made a list of the top 10 most expensive cars in the world. And as we go through these, please forgive my bad pronunciation of these vehicles, because I, I can't pronounce most words uh, very well. And, and these are going to be, I'm going to brutalize, so feel free, Joseph, to, to jump in at any time and, and fix my pronunciation this is a new segment we like to call things joseph and jason will literally never be able to afford <laughs> yes all right so I, I guess in true top 10 style we should go from 10 to 1 right okay all right here's number 10 the conus gate ga- it's conig sick uh, how do you say this one why in the world would i jump in i don't know like this is so much more fun to, <laughs> to do it this way the conig's I believe Seg. it's the Koenigsegg Regera. Okay, we'll go with that. This is one of the hybrid, uh, one of the few hybrid cars there on the list. They say the car has a price tag of two million dollars. It has a hun- uh, twelve hundred horsepower between the twin turbo five liter and uh, V eight battery pack. Uh, it-, it can go zero to sixty in two point eight seconds. That's not fast enough for me. Two point eight seconds. I mean, what you can't do two point five. Step your game up. They say the car is quite impressive. By the way, it sprints to 186 miles an hour from zero and is even more impressive as it does it in a mere 11 seconds. 11 seconds to go from zero to 186. That's, a, that's incredible. They claim the top speed is 248 and then it can get there in just 20 seconds. That, that's pretty amazing. Okay. All right. So number nine. Here's another Koenigsegg uh, called the one. Well, that's an easy one. Yes, that's a slam dunk. This is the second of the of the three of this car maker's car on the list, so I only have to say it one more time. Uh, Medium.com says about this car: there's a lot more that can be bought with two million dollars, but you can buy a really nice house and a Mazda MX-5, or you can just buy this Swedish mega car. It has 1,340 horsepower that can theoretically take it to 273 miles an hour, and thus it's one of the fastest automobiles ever made. It's carbon fiber, ventilated ceramic brakes, honeycomb core, all uh, just you know some of the most advanced stuff that's in this car. Just six of these cars were ever built, and they sold out fast. I guess we should keep an eye out for one to pop up on Craigslist, right? Do we know the profit margin on this car? Like They no. only made six of them, right? And they right. sold for $2 million apiece. So, how much do the parts cost? Well, I, I'm sh- I would think that they have some kind of parts laying around right. from other cars. Maybe they did a mishmash of some sort. A little Frankenstein. I can say Bugatti. The Bugatti Chiron. Or is it Chiron or Chiron or whatever. I know it's Bugatti. Everybody's seen this Bugatti. The car has a price tag of $2.5 million. It, it's monstrous specs that includes a quad turbocharged 8-liter engine, a 1,500 horsepower, 
the, the Chiron goes from just zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. There we go. Two and a half seconds. That's what I'm talking about. Top speed, 261 miles an hour. Despite this, it's not the fastest car in the world, but then cars like these are not meant to, for speeding. They're really meant for the impact. Well, and that giddy up, right? I mean, you're just trying to get off the line as quickly as possible. You're not necessarily trying to max it out every time. Because right, honestly, you're buying these cars, and, and kind of what's the point of buying these cars if you can't go 261 Ever, really. I don't even think on the Autobahn you can go 261. Montana. Maybe in Montana. <laughs> All right, the, number seven, Ferrari F60 America. It has a price tag of $2.5 million. They built 10 of these to celebrate the 60 years of the company in North America. It was painted with the stars and stripes and has American flag seats. That's pretty neat. The patriotic car can go 0 to 60 in only 3.1 seconds. So I was slow. waiting for the line where it had... 1776 horsepower. Oh, see, that would be... You know what I mean? Very nice, very nice. All right, number six, the $2.6 million, uh, uh, the Pagani, 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 Huayra. Pagani, Huayra? Yep. All right. Uh, Twin turbo V12 engine developed by Mercedes. Top speed, 238 miles an hour. Zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Using Pirelli tires, the car is capable of withstanding... 1.66 1.66 Gs of lateral acceleration. Obviously, it uh, it wasn't using the same Pirelli tires I'm using on my Volt. Good Lord. I'm over here thinking about may- maybe I can afford a Kia some days. <laughs> Ferrari uh, Pinafarina. Pinafarina Pinaf- is that right? Sure. Pinin. Pininfarina Sergio. Okay, good. Uh, The Sergio asking price is $3 million. So now we're up to the $3 million threshold. Uh, If you you really want one, you'll you'll need a couple extra bucks there. It uh, is a trophy car. Only six were made. Essentially a redesigned version of the Ferrari 458 Spider, which I I don't have a visual reference of, with a new body and interior. It has 562 horsepower, and since it's fairly light, it's quick with great handling seems like it's one of the more expensive, probably one of the least performance-driven models. say, there's almost no power. Well, right. almost no power. 562 <laughs> horse, but, you know. Okay, the Bugatti Veyron. Veyron? Veyron? Veyron. All right. It's not only one of the fastest cars in the world, but also one of the most expensive cars with a price tag of $3.4 million. Has an alluring carbon body fiber, upgraded LED lights, 1,200 horsepower, and it can do a scary 254 miles an hour. So $3.4 million and new lights. <laughs> what, what do the lights do? Are they under the car? Is it like under lighting? Or are we talking about just like the fanciest headlights in they the world? They probably have the fanciest headlights in the world. My goodness. Well, there you go. Uh, w Motors Lycan Hypersport. Uh, it's a car from the Fast and Furious 7 movie, okay. if, you've, if, you, if you know that. Its headlights are encrusted with jewels. It has scissor doors, <laughs> interior that can embarrass most lavish hotels. So it's really a, a fancy, it's, it's, it's more fancy inside and outside than it is like a performance machine. Because right. it only has 770 horsepower, 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Uh, and the $3.4 million car is also used by the Abu Dhabi police for their patrol duty. Probably without the jewels. You would hope so. Because those jewel-encrusted headlights, man, that's what really sends it. Well, maybe that's what makes the headlights sparkle. Ah. Mm, Something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the Lamborghini Ven, uh, Veneno. Vene, Veneo. Veneno. 
That's yeah. I don't know. All right. So the car was made as a celebration of the automaker's 50th birthday. There's only one thing that's more remarkable than the car, which is the price tag, four and a half million dollars. It's unique looking. I think it looks mostly when I looked it up like a UFO that's surveying the planet before it decides to either take us out or share their technology. <laughs> uh, it's also pretty fast, zero to sixty in two point nine seconds, but obviously not one of the fastest on the list. There. While we're talking about UFOs that are surveying the planet before deciding to take us out, isn't that exactly what the Arrivo Hyperloop-based modern technology looks like? Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe that's the way that if we can get the Hyperloop going, because it's going to be a near vacuum. Maybe if they can do one in a vacuum, they can just send the dang thing up to space, and we can send that thing. Uh, you know, to Mars. Do we have any proof that Brogan Bam Brogan was not an alien? No, we don't. I there mean, with a go. name like Brogan Van Bam Brogan, he he, he might be. You never know. He still has not called me to be a spokesman for his company. How oh, Brogan? <clears throat> and then the Koenigsegg again, uh, the CCXR Trevita. This car sells for four point eight million dollars, almost five million dollars for a car. It's barely legal, allowed to run on only certain roads. Why, why does it cost so much to own it? Well, a touch-up paint that covers the body of the car was made by carbon fiber impregnated with diamond dust. You don't want to get between diamonds and carbon fiber when they get together. But <laughs> Let me tell you. I have a Matt Lauer joke, but I'm not going to go there. Beneath the extravagant luster is a thousand, I guess I already did, uh, a thousand horsepower engine. Which seems quite comical, given the price tag. The efficiency of this car doesn't match the price tag by any means. It, 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 only three such cars were ever made. I'm sure it goes through gas like, what? It probably goes, instead of miles to the gallon, it's probably gallons to the mile. Oh, I mean, maybe. You would think that it would have to be gasoline impregnated with diamond dust for the car to be able to run. Maybe so. But, you know, there you go. There you go right there. That is the 10 most expensive cars in the in world. The world. I hope we hit that echo effect. I, I don't know if I have an echo effect. I can try to figure it out, though. Beautiful. Uh, even if I won the Powerball, I still could never, ever, I'd never be okay with driving a car like one of those uh, expensive things. Even if it was just like, even if it looked like a Camry, I couldn't drive a car that, that is, that, that, that's that expensive. I just couldn't. No, I'm I, no, but I could totally see myself behind the wheel of like a nice $100,000 SUV. So. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Shallow. Well, I guess I'm too practical for that sort of thing. I really just want my car to be worth as much as my house, I think, is my ultimate goal. So maybe I'll live in a cardboard box under a bridge or something. Well, there you, yeah. <laughs> Driving the Ford Troll, here's Joseph. Uh, I, but I would, you know, if I could drive that 61 Corvette, see, now that would be nice. But I think you can pick them up anywhere from, I don't know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 at auction. Yeah. Well, I think, so you, you mentioned that you're... Corvette, right, would be red with white trim. Yes. Mine would just be baby blue, all the way around baby blue. Oh, no, but you, this is, you've seen this car. It's, it's oh, yeah. just the classic Corvette with, the, with that little cut-in in the door there, yep. and it's just the top-down because it's a convertible, and it's just, just a, it's just like the perfect car. So the doors, though, do you get the butterfly doors or no? No, no, no. It doesn't have butterfly doors. No, it's just regular. We're butter- talking 1961. I'm just saying I would get butterfly doors put on that car. Oh, you I, would. I am a huge fan of butterfly doors. I may or may not, when I was in high school, have researched how much it would cost to retrofit my Volkswagen Jetta with butterfly doors because I was so fascinating with them. By the way, the answer, cost prohibitive. Yeah, but- well, I would think so. <laughs> but, hey, if you have that kind of money to buy a $5, 000, $5 million car, then 
<laughs> you <laughs> know, I don't. I don't even know what scissor doors are. Does that make? I feel oh, like yeah, I no, don't belong on this podcast. Scissor doors are the ones that just go straight up. Oh. So, the ones that so just butterfly go, doors, like, just like the Lamborghini, those. classic Lamborghinis yeah. that just you know go straight up and then they come right back down. All right, that sort of thing. Or the suicide doors. My older brother, when we were kids, he had a 1961, I think it was a 61 or 65, something like that, um, Lincoln Continental convertible. Okay, and it had four doors, but the back two doors are called suicide doors because they actually open backward like this. So you, so if you're going forward, they, they call them suicide doors because if you're driving, you know how you open your regular doors, mm-hmm. you're actually pushing against the wind so they'll keep them closed. These open the other way so they would catch the wind and then they would flip around if you were driving. Right. And they would break, but Dangerous. that's what they called them. Yeah, so it was it was it was a neat concept, but terrible name. Suicide doors? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Got to fix that. All right, well. I don't have to fix it. I don't have the car anymore. We are world famous. If we say we have come up with a new name for the suicide door, it is going to become the new name for the suicide door. I doubt it. Anyway, that's uh, about the size of it for this episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. If you want to get a hold of us, send us a question, a comment, concern, anything that you have going on uh, in your life, we'll listen to it. Uh, We might never respond to it, but we'll listen. We should probably stop making people wait 45 minutes before getting to the part where we put our Twitter (laughs) hands out there. (laughs) Okay, we'll put that at the beginning as well. Uh, all right, at Denver 7 Traffic. At Joseph Denver 7. There you go, and you can uh, feel free to tweet us. And I also have the uh, Instagram, at uh, Denver 7 Traffic. Check it out. There's some pretty fun. There's a funny video on there today as well, so it'll make you laugh. Oh, it made me laugh. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being here. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm hack comedian advocate Joseph Peters. <laughs> Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.